1975, I think, Billy Graham wrote a book about angels, and I went to camp as a kid, and I, I brought the book with me. Uh, so I can, I can still kind of see where I was. Uh, my bunk was there. It was an afternoon. I opened up Billy Graham's book about angels. And the first uh, story in the book was a story about a Scottish missionary named John Payton. John Payton went to the New Hebrides Islands, a very dangerous place. The last people who went to the New Hebrides Islands were eaten. They were killed and eaten. And 50 years, it took him 50 years to get back. And so John Payton went with his family to this island. While they were there, there one night their home was surrounded. Uh, and, and the intent was to kill them. And they got on their knees and began to pray. And after a few hours of fearful prayer, the people that had surrounded their place went away. About a year later, the chief of the tribe there was converted to Christ. John Payton said to him, why didn't you attack us that night when we were all alone? He said, it was, it was those hundreds of people, the shining ones that were all around your place with the swords. There were more of them than there were of us. You say, wow, that's a fantastic story. I wonder if that's true. That's what I always think when I read a story like that. But Billy Graham, in his book, said he's been in the ministry many years, and he's heard literally thousands of stories like that. And there are, outside of the Bible, hundreds, thousands of stories about, about angel encounters or about encounters with the unseen world. And we, we don't know about all the details of those, but we do have, in the Bible, God's Word, stories of, of angel encounters. And in the next four weeks, we want to talk about the unseen world, angels, demons, God, and you, the unseen world. And here's the purpose of talking about that. Not just to arouse your curiosity about angels and demons, but for us to open our eyes and be spiritually aware people. To live with our eyes open to all the realities that affect our lives, not just the realities that we can see, but the realities that we can't see. The ultimate, the paramount, the most important realities are things that we, that we can't see, not just the things that we can see. And so we'll have a series of angel stories from the Bible and teaching about angels from the Bible. I was reading about, some of, many of you have heard the stories or read about uh, Jim Elliott and his, his friends, the five young missionary martyrs that were martyred by the Waldani tribe in Ecuador, and they um, and the story uh, was told from the perspective of just the handful of uh, the little information that they had, not from the, not from the, uh, the native people. But then their family went back, and many of those people came to know the Lord. And so many, many years later, more of the story came out. And part of the story that came out that, had, that was probably 30 or 40 years old was that when those men were martyred there on the beach, they called, it, uh, they called it Palm Beach, while they were dying, there, were, there, were, there was an angel visitation, like an angel choir in the sky. Some of you look that up and read the story. It's an amazing story, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of stories are told about, about angel encounters. There is an unseen world. There's a world that's real, but it's unseen. And there's the world that we see, that we experience, 
We, we, have a, we have a strong confidence that that's true, but it's easy for us to doubt the unseen world. And so that's what we want to talk about, because the unseen world is the eternal world, is the ultimate world. And there are a couple of dangers that you can uh, get into, and this is kind of what we're talking about. One danger is uh, what we call materialism. And when, I'm ta- when I say materialism in this regard, I'm talking about philosophical materialism, not like you have a nicer car than I do, therefore you're materialistic, right? Or you, you want things, you want a lot of things. You call a person that has an obsession with lots of things, you might call them materialistic. But this is not what we're talking about. Philosophical materialism would be the idea that matter is ultimate, or matter, things are all that really matters. That's kind of a simple way of putting it. And, and there's the... There's the um, uh, the philosophy in our culture that miracles don't happen, that supernatural things don't happen. This would be philosophical materialist. On the other side, you have people that they're convinced that there's some kind of spirituality, uh, and there's, a, fa- there's a, a, a fascination with this. If you go to, uh, when they used to have bookstores, you remember that? And you go to a bookstore, and there would be a big section in the bookstore on the occult, on Wiccan, on witchcraft, all kinds of interest in spiritual things. So in our culture today, what you have on one side is you have the materialist, the ones who say there really is no supernatural or spiritual, they're philosophical materialist. On the other side, people who have maybe a belief or suspicion about immaterial, spiritual things, but it's not informed by the Bible. So we kind of want to avoid those extremes by taking the truth out of the Bible, God's Word. And so that's what we're going to do during these four weeks that we're going to be talking about the unseen world, angels, demons, God, and you. Listen to what some of the things the Bible says about the unseen world. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, Moses endured because he saw him who is unseen Moses' endurance came out of his confidence in the unseen world. The Bible says Peter, Peter in 1 Peter 1.18 is referring to Jesus when Peter said, whom having not seen we love. This is how he described Jesus, whom having not seen you love. Paul wrote, things which are not seen are eternal things. That was in 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. Also in Romans, he wrote in Romans 1 and verse 20 of the invisible things. He said Jesus created everything in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Jesus created everything, and he had two categories, visible and invisible. In other words, over and over again, the Bible talks about the reality of the unseen world. And so our series of messages really isn't so much, although we will talk about the theology of angels and of demons, it's not so much that. What I would like for us to think about is we're people whose eyes are spiritually open to see the unseen world. What difference would it make in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation if we really had spiritual insight and we could see what is unseen but real? In 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul calls God immortal and invisible. He wrote to Timothy, no man has seen God at any time in 1 Timothy 6. 
Faith is the evidence in Hebrews. Faith is the evidence of things that are, that are not seen. In John 1.18, no one has seen God, the apostle says. In 1 John 4.12, no one has seen God. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the unseen world, the reality of the unseen world. The ultimate world is the unseen world. There are unseen things that are driving the things that are seen. This is what Christians believe, and they and they they believe that they can learn about what is unseen through God's word. And so in the Bible, you have uh, examples of angels, give you some, a little bit of a flyover, if you will. The Bible records 25 times when angels appeared to men and women. So it's not common, but, but it, is, it, it does happen. 25 times when angels appeared to men and women. There are a little under 300 there are 234 mentions of angels in the bible if you don't count the times when god is called uh, lord sabaoth or the god of the angel armies angels are mentioned in the bible more often than sin is mentioned angels are mentioned in the bible more often than love is mentioned if you say sin is an important concept then you must believe that angels are an important concept if you say that love is an important concept in the bible then you must believe that angels are important and ought to be important to us. One of, the, one of the keys to having a balanced ministry in a church is not you choosing how much weight you give to a doctrine, but allowing the Bible to determine the weight that you give to a doctrine. And the Bible says a lot about angels. And so we should probably talk about angels, maybe more than we do. Understand that Satan always wants to get us distracted into some kind of extreme, some kind of sensationalism or speculation or, or some kind of cold-hearted kind of quasi-materialistic kind of religious liberalism uh, that's, that, 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 that wants to kind of cherry-pick the nice you know, ethical sayings of the Bible but doesn't really believe the miraculous claims of the Bible. And these are extremes we want to avoid because to go to either of those extremes is really to deny the Bible. It's to deny the truth of the Bible and the Jesus of the Bible. You can't say, I believe the Bible, but I only believe these parts of it because the Bible makes such uh, powerful claims for itself. You can't say, well, I believe in, uh, for instance, the red letters of the Bible, the nice ethical sayings of Jesus, but I don't believe what Jesus said about demons and about angels and about hell and about the second coming and, and about his wrath. You can't, you can't do that because you, you uh, distort who Jesus is when you do that. And so these are things that we want to avoid. 278 times God is referred to in the Bible as the Lord of hosts, or, the, or again, the God of angel armies. Angels are mentioned in 39 books of the Bible, 19 Old Testament books, 20 New Testament books there. They're mentioned from Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. And that's kind of important because it would be easy for us to think, well, you know, way, way long ago there were angel encounters and there were angel activities and there were demonic activities, but, but not anymore. But if you read the Bible carefully, you'll notice that Angels aren't just mentioned in the past, but there is a flourish of angelic and demonic activity in the future, according to the Bible. The Bible ends with, with a flourish of overt angelic and demonic activity. Revelation, the, the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it begins with angelic activity, and angelic activity is mentioned 80 times in the book of Revelation. So the future includes 
So if there's been angelic activity in the past and there's going to be angelic activity in the future, there's angelic activity right now. My daughter Holly went through a really difficult childbirth, nearly died in childbirth. We were a long way away. We were praying. All of us were praying. Her mother-in-law was writing me directly, please pray. This is so serious right now. Holly survived that childbirth. A little aid of redemption was born, and she's healthy now. But we went out there, and she said that during the time when, when it was questionable whether she would even live or die, she prayed, and everyone in the room prayed, and there were nurses and attendants who didn't know the Lord. And after the crisis had passed, and the baby was born, and Holly was well, the nurses all agreed. There were angels in the room. There were angels in the room, they said. We came, uh, Jesse, Holly's husband, and I went to church the next Sunday. Uh, nobody else went. And we, 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 we went and sat together in church and sat down in, in, in the little church out there in Astoria where we attended uh, a bell rings before church begins. And the bell began to ring, and Jesse and I just began to weep. They said there were angels in the room. There were angels in the room. Maybe there are angels in the room today. Scriptures teach us that sometimes we're unaware of the presence of angels. What would be different about your life, about your family, about the way you conducted your life, about the way you lived your life, about the way you treated your wife and your children, your husband, if you're conscious of unseen realities all around us, if we're conscious of angelic activity, demonic activity, God's unseen work around us, if we could see the world the way God sees the world, how much different would our lives be? Maybe we would have a greater resistance to sin and temptation if we could see things that are unseen. Maybe we would have a greater passion for people who are lost and far from God if we could see what's unseen. Maybe we'd be much more encouraged about discouraging things that go on around us if we could just see what's unseen. Maybe our hearts wouldn't be so broken by the evening news if we could just see the world the way God sees the world and see what God is doing in the world that's unseen unless your eyes are spiritually open. This is what we want. We want our eyes to be spiritually open. The ladies played it today. Lord, open my eyes. This is the prayer that we would, should have on our hearts all week. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what you're doing in the world. Be conscious and aware of it. Let me give you a little sampler of angel encounters from the Bible. Angels comforted Hagar in Genesis. They delivered Lot. Angels guided the nation of Israel in the wilderness, angels fed Elijah. Angels surrounded Elisha with protection. We'll see that in a minute. Angels, encounter, angels saved Hezekiah from uh, the, the, the bloodthirsty Assyrians. Angels led Isaiah. Angels directed Ezekiel in ministry. Angels ministered over and over to Jesus. Jesus' whole life is accompanied by angels all the way from his birth through his life and his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his return, all accompanied with angelic uh, entourage, if you will. Angels ministered to our Jesus. Angels delivered Peter from prison. Remember that? Angels comforted Paul when he was about to go down with his ship, if you remember. Angels gave John a tour of Jerusalem. Now, what I'd like you to see fairly briefly, it are, are, I'd like you to see two stories of angel encounters. These are, these are not common. These are very, very unusual. You'll see. 
when we read them, we're like, they're, they're, they're very, very unusual angel encounters, but they're, they're facts, they're reality, they're recorded in the Scripture. And there are things that we can learn. There's this same, the same truth that I would like for us to emphasize and take away from these two angel encounter stories. You might take your Bible and turn to 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 and verse uh, uh, 9. 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. Um, this is a, a fascinating story. Let me just read it to you. I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, this is 2 Kings 6, 8. A lot lengthy reading, so look on then as we read. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once. In other words, God was giving Israel inside information, right? And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord. None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. This would be somewhat disconcerting, wouldn't it? And he said, go see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and he came by night and he surrounded the city. Now, the Assyrian Empire was a bloodthirsty, dangerous, violent. They had a reputation for great violence and danger. And the, and the mention here of chariots is it's no small thing. It's as if they had the greatest accoutrements of warfare that, that the moderns at the time could have. They, came, they didn't come with just foot soldiers. They came not just with foot soldiers, but with horses. And they came not just with foot soldiers and horses, but they came with chariots. And the Assyrians intimidated their enemies with their chariots, this would have uh, struck fear in their hearts. And, and not only did they come it, it, to attack, but they came to attack or to surround them at the nighttime. And so they're surrounded by horses. They're surrounded by enemies. They're surrounded by chariots. The Assyrians in cuneiform would record their war atrocities so that people that they wanted to conquer would be intimidated by the horrifying things that they did. This is um, an ominous scene, verse 15. So when the servant of the man of God, man of God, Elisha, right? When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha's servant goes out and he sees that they're surrounded by this bloodthirsty, violent army and the horses, and the chariots, and he goes back in, and he says to Elisha, what should we do? And Elisha's answer to him is, well, there are more of us than there are of them. Which, about that time, Elisha's servant must have thought maybe he hit his head on a rock or something. Like, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed an interesting prayer. 
I imagine Elisha in the tent not even going out. And this breathless servant comes in and says, we're surrounded by the enemy. And they have horses. And they have chariots. Like, we're going to die. And Elisha says, there are more of us than there are of them. And then without directly addressing him further, praise, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. He's like, God, my eyes were already opened. You need to come out here and look at this. Then you know what the scriptures say. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I thought they should make a movie of this. They could call it chariots of fire. <laughs> be great. Chariots of fire. Can you imagine? Open his eyes, Lord. He goes back out. Oh, our chariots are on fire. And there's more of us <laughs> than there are of them. Now, this is not normative. This doesn't happen. This has never happened to me. Has this ever happened to you? I've never had a vision of chariots of fire, of angelic chariots of fire. I haven't had it. It's, a, it's unusual. The Bible isn't saying that this is normative. This, there's a cluster of miracles surrounding Elisha and Elijah and this time. There, there are clusters of miracles at certain times in the scriptures when God is doing a new thing. This is one of those times. This isn't normative, but there's a spiritual truth in it that we want to get, and that is God we should pray this prayer. God, open my eyes so that I have spiritual insight into what you're doing so I see and believe the reality of what you're doing around me. This is the part that we want to take home with us. Lord, this prayer. Lord, open my eyes. This is what I wonder what would happen if you prayed this prayer over and over this week, every morning when you got up, every night before you went to bed, every time you were tempted to, every time you were wrestling with temptation, or every time that you were tempted to be discouraged, or every time that you felt overcome with sorrow, or every time that you felt like you didn't have what it takes to do what needs to be done, if you would just pray the prayer, so Lord, open my eyes. And I wonder if you would find then that you aren't alone and, and you would see the power of God and you would sense the presence of angels and you would realize the, the weight of what's happening and that you're, you're involved in, that there are things happening all around you that are, that are unseen. Maybe it would be the, the opposite effect. Maybe you wouldn't be so proud and cavalier and feel like you got it all put together because sometimes angels come along and they warn us of the great danger that we're in, the temptation or the enemies that are around us, and we would live with great circumspection and care and sober hearts because of what was happening around us. I just think it'd probably be a good thing if we would pray the prayer, Lord, open my eyes. I think it would be a good thing. There's another story I'd like you to see. This is, a, this is a, just borderlines bizarre. It's in Numbers chapter 22. The, these make great telling, these stories. This particular story is not only a story of an angelic encounter. It's a story of an angelic warning. I don't think I have ever gotten myself into trouble without having been warned first. I think usually I can, I can hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in my heart, or maybe I can hear my mother's voice. Often I hear my mother's voice. As old as I am, you would think 
that I wouldn't still hear my mother's voice, but I do. Sometimes I get a warning from my wife, just a look, just a little tiny, just a little slight imperceptible nod of her head. You wouldn't notice it, but I do. Happens when I'm preaching sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, she's like going, don't go there. Don't say that. Yeah. How many of you have had the experience of getting warned before you got in trouble? Yeah. Can I get a groan on this one? Well, you probably probably never had a warning like this one. This story here in Numbers in, in chapter 22, that's interesting. And this is the story of Balaam, who needed to be warned of God. And this is in Numbers uh, chapter 22, and we might as well read verse 22. God's anger is kindled because Balaam goes. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. This is not good news. If the angel of the Lord is your adversary, you're toast, right? It's just sharing in case that ever happens to you. So he's riding with a don- on a donkey. His two servants were with him, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Stand- I told you this is a bizarre story, just crazy. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. You, you ever heard these horse stories about horses knowing that, you know, the bridge is not safe or there are bad people around or dogs with intuition or your kitty cat or whatever, you know. Uh, it, it, this is the donkey that has some spiritual intuition. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey turned aside out of the road and he went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and she pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. This just gets funner and funner. And she says to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Here's the funny part Balaam now is talking back to the donkey. <laughs> just as if they normally do this. Balaam says to the donkey, you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you. And the donkey says, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? The donkey's like, hello, dummy. I've never done this before. Don't you think maybe there's something different going on now? I'm interpreting. This is the new living or whatever. Yeah, the new (laughs) Ken's new living thing. The donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life? Here's the fun part, verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Now, if you're, if you're like I am, you're going, hey, Lord, 
before I beat up my donkey or talk to him or argue with him? Could you just open my eyes first? I don't want to be dumber than a, you know, donkey. I want to be, I don't want to be stubborn as a mule. I want to have spiritual insight. If there's somebody at work that's irritating me, I want to be able to see beyond their irritation into the fact that their marriage is on the rocks. If there's a kid in my classroom who's just all kinds of trouble, I want to see beyond that little troublesome kid to a boy who doesn't have a daddy in the next room. I want to have spiritual insight. I want to see the world the way you see it. When my wife is mistreating me, when my husband is misunderstanding me, I want to see their heart the way you would see their heart. I want to have your patience with them. I want to have your love for them. I want to have your tenderness for them. What difference would it make if God were to open our spiritual eyes and we would be able to see things that are real but they're unseen. Wouldn't it be a good idea for us to start every day and to end every day with a simple prayer like this? Hey, Lord, open my eyes today. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. I love it. What would happen? I was uh, in Kentucky one night, and I said to the boys that, our, our vacation was coming to an end, and I didn't think it had been all that much fun. We had, you know, because of the weather, there's some things, it, it didn't go as well as I'd like for it to have gone, and I thought, well, I think it'd be kind of nice if we did something fun, so I said to the boys, hey, would you guys like to go down and camp out at Natural Bridge tonight? And they yeah, let's do that. So we grabbed a tent. We didn't have the proper equipment. We didn't leave in time. We were late. We just run down to Natural Bridge and turn the lights of the car on the campsite, and we set up a tent on this lumpy campsite uh, by the river <laughs> late at night. We got in too late to pay. We didn't sleep well because the campsite was, let's just say, unimproved. And so in the morning, we got up and we left, and it was too early for the attendant to be there, and we didn't pay. So I took the, the boys home, and I thought, well, I can, I can stop by uh, on the way out of Kentucky if my conscience won't allow me to leave without paying. So I, you're like, looking at me like, okay, you can't be my pastor anymore. You're a thief. Uh, stay with me here. Like, so, so the next day, we're, I'm driving my Jeep out of the mountains, and I think, well, I probably should, even though I only stayed a few hours, I probably should go down there and pay. And part of me was like, you know, I don't really owe them anything. Well, I said, well, I drove down there and I paid them. And then I thought, well, that's going to take me a half an hour to go off the road down there, horse around with that, and get back on the road. So I was a half hour later than I wanted to be after I had paid for the campsite. I got back up on the mountain parkway. It was, it was, it was traveling with our dog, Hazard, and just me and Hazard down in Kentucky. And uh, I'm driving down the mountain parkway, and it's a pretty lonely road. There's, there are very few cars on the mountain parkway. Pulled out of the mountain parkway, I drove a couple of miles, and and uh, I prayed that day. You know, like I want to go where you want me to go, want to do what you want me to do, want to serve you if I can. 
And I was a couple of miles on the mountain parkway. There was a little Ford Focus off the side of the road. And there's an older lady with a flat tire. And a white-haired older lady standing behind this car. And her tire was flat. So I prayed, Lord, help that lady. And I just kept driving. Just kidding. So I stopped. <laughs> so I stopped. And I said to her, could you use some help? And she says, well, praise the Lord. I just stand here praying for some help. So I put that lady's donut on her car uh, and got her going again. I, I forgot to tell her, you're supposed to drive, I think, 45 miles an hour in a short distance and not too fast. The lady took off and went 70 miles. I said, I'm going to follow you to Lexington to make sure you get there. She took off and drove 70 miles an hour on that donut. She just, I started praying the whole time. She didn't blow out her donut. How cool is that? That that exact timing was what was necessary for me to be an answer to that lady's prayer. I like to think, man, Lord, I love to be an answer to prayer. I love to be an answer to prayer. That would just be, it would be hard to be discouraged if Every night when you went to bed and you put your head on your pillow, you said, I was an answer to somebody's prayer. Jesus went about doing good. He was frequently an answer to someone's prayer. But how does that work? You have to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to be at the right place at the right time. I, years ago, I heard there was a big buzz about this um, book by Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness. It's not a book of theology, okay? It's a novel. And it's a novel about spiritual warfare. I decided, well, everybody's reading this novel. I should probably read this novel. And so it's a big, thick novel. This Present Darkness, I think, was the first one. And Piercing the Darkness, I forget which one is first. So I, I, I got the kids in bed. It was years ago. And I laid down on the couch with this scary-looking big novel about spiritual warfare. And I started reading it. It was a story about a little town and all the things happening in this little town, uh, you know, on the physically, kind of on the surface. But, that, but the, the plot of the story would also go back and forth to toggle back and forth to the heavenlies and to spiritual things and to angels and to demons. And over and over again, you know, things would be happening in the town and then, then it, would, it would show what was happening in the spirit realm and the angels would be saying, we need prayer cover. We need prayer cover right now. And I remember when I got done with that book, even though it wasn't a book of theology and, and it wasn't a book of precision, it was just a novel about spiritual warfare. I remember late at night finishing that book and then rolling off of the couch and getting down on my knees and praying for my church and praying for my family and praying for our parish. What, what, what would happen to your prayer life if you could see the unseen world? It would, it would make a difference, wouldn't it? I think it would. We're driving along one night coming back from Chicago and uh, with a guy named Reggie, a friend of mine named Reggie, and we were driving a church van, and we are heading up to Fremont, and it was late at night, and we were in that conversation, that just great conversation. Reggie's an, a, a good Christian friend, and, and we were just uh, talking about the things of the Lord, and, and I was absent-minded, and I didn't notice that we used all the gas. In a lonely stretch of road late at night, we are out of gas, and Reggie says to me, does the church have road service? And I jokingly say to him, we don't mess with that. We have angels. <laughs> he says, what did you say? I said, you heard me. 
I say, we don't mess with rosaries, man. We have angels. Well, it was a joke, of course. It's a joke. But we, we rolled to a stop, and a car pulls in in front of us. And a young guy gets out of the car, and he comes back, and he says, I saw you're a church fan. I'm a student at Trinity Seminary, and I'm doing a study of camps, and I'm driving around Michigan doing a study of camps, and I wonder if there's anything I can do to help you. And I'm like, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you would take me to the gas station. And I go back to Reggie, and I go, our angel got here. He's like, what? I go, didn't I tell you? We have angels. He's like, wow. Need to hang out with me more often, man. Where it worked. We go up and, and I, I put some gas uh, in the, in the I, I took the church's credit card and put some gas. I don't want to take public credit for doing something I didn't do. I took the church's credit card, put some gas in his car, and he drove us back, and, and we took off, and Reggie goes, wow, that is cool. I know. Nice to have the angels. He was the good seminarian out on the road there, helped us with our gas. Lois, uh, Lois's birthday today, she wanted me not to tell you that, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, so I'm not going to mention it. Uh, yesterday was our anniversary. I'm not going to mention that either. It's 30, 39 years ago, and uh, yeah. Clevengers got married on the very same day right here at Bethel, and we were down, this, down the road, down off 94 in Ypsilanti, in a little neighborhood church where she walked the aisle to get saved. She walked the aisle to be my wife. The first decision was brilliant. The second one, well, not so much. But we, we had this little Plymouth duster, a uh, green Plymouth duster, and we, we, we didn't have a dime. And we got in that car after we got married, and we were so needy. We drove away that night. And I remember thinking, this is kind of scary. You know, I have my, my income as a custodian at the little school that I worked at was, was just enough to pay the rent, buy some groceries, buy some gas. There wasn't any extra at all. We got in our little car. It's back when they had bench seats. So I, I had her scoot over next to me. And we drove down I-75 to start our life together. Turn on the radio uh, Carpenters were playing. We've only just begun on the radio. <laughs> and we stopped at, in Lima and we ate, we ate dinner at Bob Evans. And then we went to our little apartment. I had no idea how hard that was going to be and how good that was going to be. And I really kind of thought it was just the two of us but it wasn't. The king of the universe was with us. And all of his holy angels were at our disposal. And he's been with us. And he's gone with us. And he's with you too, if you know him. Pray with me. Jesus, we do love you. We thank you. We need you. And we thank you so much that you command all the angel armies and that you're always at work around us in the times that are good and the times that are bad, even when we're bad, broken, needy, even on our worst day. I pray that you would give us 
clear spiritual insight that the day star would rise in our hearts over and over again and we would see things that are unseen to those whose eyes aren't spiritually open. Amen.